Hey, welcome back to Mining Stock Daily, everybody. We're going to wrap up today with a uh, market analysis. Boy, not much analysis if you look at the charts here throughout the board. Not only just so many really not look not good looking junior mining charts, but in general, the big boards are really hanging on a cliff, and precious metals are it's not pretty. So. Uh, I'm sorry to I'm sorry for Craig Hempke to have to come in and try to put some lipstick on this thing, but Craig, welcome welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. Hi, Trevor. Uh, when you said started that, I was thinking about paralysis by analysis. We're just simply paralysis <laughs> at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I know that this debt ceiling thing continues to be dragged on. That's not really news by anything. Is there something else that's really causing these markets to really be completely risk off right now? Well, I, I, that's a two pronged point, at least from from my perspective. Um, you'll recall um, that when we began this year, I wrote in my annual forecast, which I like to do every January, that the most analogous year to 2023 was 2010 and 2019 which were both years that began with the Fed playing their rhetorical games. You know, QE was a one-off to never be done again and green shoots in the economy and all that crap in 2010. And in 2019, even though the Fed had kind of sparked a liquidity crisis in late 18, there were still people saying, oh, there could be all these rate hikes and the 10-year note was going to go from two and a half up to four and a half or five. And both of those years, the economy faltered liquidity got tight. And by uh, November, at least, I think it was November in 2010, here came QE2. And by June of 2019, here came the first rate cuts. In those years, uh, gold and silver both traded sideways, either slightly higher, slightly down through the first half of the year in this kind of limbo waiting for this official flip. You know, you get these false starts, Oh, hey, yeah, well, they're different. And oh, no, you know, no, they're not going to do that yet. And you pull back and all that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, so far, that's exactly what this year has unfolded like. We had this huge rally out of the gates in January in gold, $140 or whatever, you know, it went up in January. And then you got in April and, all, you know, here came some stronger than expected economic data. And all of a sudden it was, oh, yes, higher for longer. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, here we go. And then that changed in March when you started having these first bank failures. And I remind everybody, the second third and fourth largest bank failures in terms of assets in U.S. history occurred over a six-week period in March and April. Okay, tip of the iceberg stuff. And then we get into April, and here gold's rallying again, you know, and we're all the way up, you know, near all-time highs. And then all of a sudden, the data starts getting stronger again. And all of a sudden, here come all the Fed goons again. Oh, higher for longer, you know, like Goon Bullard, mm-hmm. what, just yesterday. So, again, all of this is much like these previous two years. Now, there are uh, there are people out there, like I, I have a friend of mine named Tom Luongo, who thinks the Fed is fighting some battle against, you know, uh, Davos and the rest of the world, and they're going to keep hiking off. So I don't know, maybe he's right. Who, who's to say that I'm right and he's wrong or vice versa? I have no idea. But my inclination is to side with previous behavior. And those previous behaviors include the Fed, you know, as soon as they sense some kind of economic issue, uh, hightailing it you know, for the hills and QE and rate cuts. Next year is an election year, too, I'll remind everybody. And so um, I, I thought this whole year would play out really the way it has, series of higher lows pre- pressing up against a breakout. And for now, that's really 
just where we are. We're just tracing out another higher low here at the end of May. Yeah. Can we talk about this debt ceiling here? I know <laughs> you've 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 definitely have thoughts. I have thoughts, but I think my the way I'm approaching this as an investor and trying to position the portfolio, at least you know my own portfolio, is you got to really have your head on a swivel here because listen, I I think there's a better chance than not that those the people up in Washington D.C. are going to come to a deal. Whether it happens one hour before June first or one hour after, you know the strike of midnight on June first, I do think it's going to happen. However, I think the odds of that are, you know, the, the, it's greater to have it happen. However, in the last, Craig, in the last ten years, nothing surprises me when it comes to that place. Right. You know, and it, it, it's all about political, it's more about political posturing than it is about actually doing work for the greater good of the people. There, now you hit it right there on the head, my friend. Um, I, I don't remember, we've talked before about the fine line between cynicism and realism, right? Yeah. <laughs> so am I cynical or am I a realist? You know, when I say we've seen this crap before, right? I mean, they played this game and it's all for, for me, it's all done for political purposes. You know, they'll they'll argue, you know, the uh, McCarthy and the R side of the Republicrat, you, you know, war uniparty will argue and say, oh, Biden's this extremist. And, you know, in the end, we had to make a deal and we got to get rid of him next year so that we can, you know, do this. And then Biden will sit there and say, oh, the McCarthy and the those guys are all extremists and they they want to make a deal and we got to get rid of them next year so that we <laughs> it's all just crap. So if. If there was to be some sort of calamitous event, uh, I'd be flabbergasted. Again, it's a little bit like we talked about earlier with the Fed. If the Fed is suddenly just hell bent on raising rates and you know pre- preserving their credibility and fighting the EU and the ECB and the you know the World Economic Forum, that'd be the first time. You know, so I'll side with uh, past behavior and these people having shown their stripes before. And there'll be some miraculous, you know, late hour deal where nobody will be happy and, and the politicians from both sides will use it. You know, they'll think they can raise money off of it and use it as a battering ram for next year. Cynicism. Cynicism. Which one is that one, Trevor? Can, can you tell? <laughs> well, and, and look at history. Listen, we've been here before, 2011. Uh, it, you know, I wasn't necessarily paying attention to the intricacies of you know, of markets in 2011, I, I will admit. But when we talk about the debt ceiling negotiations then, Bloomberg put out a really great article uh, today that goes through that period of time of, of how markets reacted. And so, and, and they pointed this out, the debt ceiling in 2011 was raised in the middle of the night between August 1st and August 2nd. Of that of 2011, the S&P downgraded the U.S.'s credit rating to AA plus after the market closed on August 5th, mm-hmm. right? And obviously that created a, a shitstorm between the S&P and uh, the Treasury Department. So we don't need to open that can of worms. But it just goes to show you that in, in following that, the S&P had – it didn't have a great run after that. The fall of yeah. 2011 was pretty, pretty horrid. 
And so, you know, not be, if they come if they come out and have a debt ceiling, you know, you, you know, green light here by June first, that doesn't necessarily mean all saved, does it? No, I suppose that's true. Um, I, I just, you know, here I'm getting back to my realism cynicism thing. I'm not sure that it matters much at this point. Yeah, I mean, that was quite the shock to the system 12 years ago, right? Right. Uh, Holy cow, no longer AAA, AA plus. Does this mean that interest rates are going to reset multiple base, you know, a couple points higher, you know, and what's that going to do going forward? Will the U.S. be able to sell debt? Well, I mean, 12 years, I mean, that was before all this QE and, you know, the Fed balance sheet going to 9 trillion, you know, and I think now it doesn't even matter. You know what I mean? I mean, they're going to find the funds. If they don't find the funds, they're just going to print it. And everybody is so accustomed to that now that they could mark the U.S. down to double A. And I don't think it would have the same, you know, grinding and wailing, you know, wailing and grinding of teeth that everybody had in 2011 because it was so unusual. Now we've had 15 years of this new monetary paradigm. And I don't, other than the shock of the headline, S&P probably finish up on the day. Right. It's the power of sovereign currency, I suppose. I, yeah. You know, it's like getting back to that QE2 uh, program. You know, that was, oh my gosh, the Fed, they, they were lying under Bernanke the whole time. And here came QE2 and in uh, November 2010, and everybody knows what happened. I mean, the dollar went in the tank and silver went from 18 to 48 and gold went soaring. And But then we did QE3 in November or October of 2012. And I, you know, I was fooled just like everybody else. And I thought, okay, here they go, another trillion dollars. Well, the problem is, you know, the, as the dollar gets measured, it's measured versus all this other pieces of crap fiat currency. And even though they're tr- printing a trillion dollars worth of, of new dollars, the euro and the yen and the pound and everything else were weakening even faster. And so the dollar, mm-hmm. you know, on a relative basis appeared to be stronger. And so downwind everything. You know, because of how the computers trade everything. So, uh, I, you know, it's it's really hard to say how any, you know, anything that we used to think was significant and important from a fundamental basis, you know, it just seems to be suspect anymore. Some, you know, yeah. whether it matters or not, we'll just have to watch it all play out, I guess. No. Let's talk about precious metals here, Craig. Uh, you know, gold's really hanging on here to support around 1960 as we speak. That's futures basis, front month futures basis. Silver making a new low. That's almost getting to oversold yeah. territory. I mean, that's how big of a move silver had. It went from getting way overbought to way oversold. Yeah. Pretty dang quickly here. That's that's a, Those are huge moves. What is what is really driving this move in precious metals here when we know central banks continue to buy? Well, again, who buys and sells the futures contracts, right? Um, mainly hedge funds. And then you got the bank trading desks, you know, operating against them, taking the opposite side of whatever they're doing uh, year after year, month after month, week after week. So what drives the buying or what prompts the selling? Well, those are all mainly driven by algorithm these days. Everybody's got an algo that they follow, you know, at their hedge fund, chasing a dot on the screen. It's not really gold. It's not really silver. It's just, you know, this thing, this uh, derivative. So what was going on, you know, three weeks ago, uh, the dollar was down at 101. The yield on the 10-year note was at 3.3%. 
Three weeks later, the dollar is about 103 and a half and the yield on the 10-year note is 3.7%. And that rise in nominal rates and the rise in the dollar have prompted the machines that were buying gold and silver futures to now turn around and sell them. Uh, we had a classic short squeeze, a uh, little spike last Friday um, on the kind of double barrel, double barrel headlines from Powell and Yellen, uh, where all of a sudden all these shorts that had gotten in over the last, you know, earlier last week got squeezed out. And then here they came right back in. There's a chance here. We'll see. And we started talking about this my site back on Saturday. There's a chance gold's bottoming in this 1960 area with kind of a double bottom. If it can hold that and then break out and get through its downtrend line that goes back three weeks. Okay. Worst is over. And again, we just would simply have another higher low following a higher high off the lows uh, last fall. And silver is the same way. I mean, silver on the chart looks like come all the way down to the 200 day and uptrend off of its low last fall connecting through the low in early March. That would be about 2250. And as you will point out, I'd be deeply oversold by the time it got there. And as long as we continue this pattern of higher highs and higher lows, we're just building toward, you know, where we began this conversation, you know, the eventual change in Fed policy and everything else. The only thing that would concern me is suddenly, you know, we start making a lower low, which means gold going below, what, 1840, silver breaking down below 20. Um, I, I don't know. With still the, what I think the, eventuality of the Fed's shift in policy, I have a hard time seeing that happening. You feel like this is a shift? I'm, I'm, I, we talked about cynicism and skepticism I think, a few minutes ago. I'm skeptical, to be honest with you, Craig, I'm skeptical that the Fed is just going to go directly into cutting rates. Yeah, it, it, it depends on exactly what happens. You know, if there's another, you know, major run of bank collapses and stuff like that, um, then maybe they'd have to go right into cutting rates. Uh, more likely, uh, you know, his, and I guess I've seen studies on, you know, people put out on Twitter and Bloomberg and stuff. The average amount of time historically from the last hike to the first cut, it's about 75 to 90 days. So if they don't hike in three weeks, then we could, you know, then I guess that clock is running and we'd be talking August, you know, July, August, which is about what Fed funds futures are pricing in. So maybe they're just looking at the historical averages. So the, you know, going from immediately to a cut is probably unlikely unless, you know, it's just some calamitous thing going on. But I mean, there are so many things, again, I, I, I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent here for a second. The Fed got so far behind the curve with their transitory BS. Yeah, and I'll re, you know, remind everybody listening that as recently as 18 months ago, 15 months ago even, uh, you know, all these Fed goons that are talking about, oh, we got to hike even further, were saying there wasn't going to be any hikes at all until this year, 2023, because inflation was transitory. So now all these same people were dead wrong a year and a half ago are saying, oh, yeah, we're going to keep rates higher. <laughs> Who believes these people? I mean, seriously. So I, you know, with all of this, these rapid hikes they put in, they've hiked faster in this cycle than they ever have before. They have nothing to model. They they can't say, well, the previous three times we've hiked this fast. Here's how it's worked out in terms of gross domestic product and all this. They don't know. They don't know. They're just flying by the seats of their pants. Then you throw on this banking crisis and banks, you know, restricting credit 
you know, standard or tightening credit standards, restricting credit, that tightens the economy. You get this commercial real estate issue that is just beginning to show itself. Uh, that's going to pull in um, the range of the economy as well. They, they have no idea how sharply the economy may or may not contract or be contracting by the you know third and fourth quarter. So again, I just get back to it. I you know I, whether they would immediately cut is going to depend on you know if all of a sudden there's some you know huge systemic crisis. But if there is, uh, I think more likely, you know, the, the ripple effect of all of they've done, these lagging effects that, you know, that's what economists call them, uh, are just going to become more and more apparent as we go through the summer. And with that historical nature of about, you know, three months between the last, uh, the, the last hike to the rate, you know, first cut, that puts us August, you know, maybe, maybe uh, if they don't do anything in July, then you know, you won't wait for Powell to start talking about, yeah, we're going to, the data looks like uh, we're going to have to start cutting when he's at Jackson Hole in August and then they'll cut in mm -hmm. September and then, you know, maybe a couple more times for the end of the year. Well, yeah, that's what history would suggest. And that's still what I'm banking on. Yeah. Uh, Craig, last question for you. And, and this is something I've had, I, I've posed the same idea or question to a couple guests here in the last uh, week or two here on the pod. But my question is, in my, at least from my observations, is demand is still very, very high. Uh, maybe goods inflations have stabilized, but services inflation continues to rise. You can't go out and not see restaurants mm -hmm. busy, airports busy. Um, you know, <laughs> you just mentioned you were actually just down the street from me in, in uh, Golden this weekend. And I'm sure that place was chaotic as it typically is every weekend. I mean, people are out and about, and despite there being higher costs, they are willing to spend the money. It just goes to show you how much money is still in the system mm -hmm. circulating around. And so there were at this point as to, has the Fed done a good job of crushing demand? Because as of right now, currently doesn't necessarily look like it. Or do we need to wash this, these higher rates continue to play out and see if that slowing slowing of demand begins to come to fruition here in the next coming months. Yeah. You know, that's all the, that's the whole puzzle, I guess you've touched upon Trevor, you know, this, what economists call it aggregate demand, right. You know, yeah. and, and what are you seeing? Are we, you know, cause I, I see these things too. And I, heck, I just went, got back into town last night and, and my wife and my daughter and I went to dinner and just the three of us splitting a couple of salads. And it was 55 bucks. Right. You know, you look around, you think, okay, 55, 80, you know, all these people. And it's easy to look at it and anecdotally think everything's fine. When a lot of this stuff, this lagging stuff just takes a while to really present itself. Now the stock market is held in there. You know, that's one of those things that uh, demand destruction comes from where people are like, oh, crap, my 401k is down 20%, you know, that sort of thing. But I think as you, as you just all of this stuff works its way through the economy, you know, it's like we haven't seen it, unemployment claims tick up just yet because so many of these layoffs that we've seen are white collar jobs. And when you get laid off at a white collar job, you give a severance package of six months. And while you're on your severance package, you can't apply for unemployment insurance. You know, so you just wonder how much of the, you know, the lagging stuff still hasn't come in. And then the other part of that is the, strat the stratification of income and wealth in the U.S. has gotten so extreme, you know, that 
you know, you and I go out and you see other people, you know, like us and have some disposable income that can go out. But how many, what percentage of people don't have that disposable income at all, you know, and are trying to work two or three jobs and just trying to make ends meet? That's the hard thing is, you know, there's, like I said, I'm not saying that you and I are biased when we look at it that way, but that's the hard part of observing kind of anecdotal things. Now, you could say, well, look, there's measurements like these ISM services numbers or, or retail sales, you know, and stuff like that. And then you can also look at it and say, well, okay, we have a look at all the credit card debt that's soaring. And why are people, you know, are they buying on things on credit cards because uh, they're confident that they can, you know, they want stuff now, they can pay it off in the future. Are they buying stuff on credit cards? They don't have any money. <laughs> they're trying to live. I, again, these are all part of the challenges, um, you know, that, if you're going to try to study the macro that you've got to try to, you know, all these balls, you try to juggle in your head, trying to make it all make sense. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure what I can't say is that the fed will be cutting by X date and this, but I, I'm pretty confident having witnessed how they've responded ever since the paradigm changed in 2008. And when given a choice between, uh, taking the politically expedient course of more cutting and more QE and everything else, or, you know, towing the line and getting the balance sheet back down and staying out of all of that, they take the, the politically expedient direction. And I just, I can't imagine they're not going to do that again. I mean, just because the first time they do it will be the first time, you know, the first time they really get tough would be the first time they've done it. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. That's how I expect it to go. Okay. Uh, it's going to be an interesting summer. Craig, thanks so much uh, for this time and for some of your insights and thoughts. Let's do it again here uh, next month and see how things are playing out. Appreciate your time, my friend. Anytime, Trevor. It's always good to be with you. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's Craig Hemke over at TF Metals Report. And that's a wrap here today on the pod. We'll be back tomorrow morning with the morning briefing and more corporate updates, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.